This is Agents Influence Podcast. On the balance scale of everybody's life, there is a different weight on the risk. There's so many places where being risk adverse is more rewarding than taking risk. And so my life has been a hunt for the place where I'm going to be allowed to take some risk. First thing I'll ask the investors is, will you let me take risks that will someday be criticized? There's actually some brilliance to delivery of really good ideas that isn't apparent when you first do it. And so you have to be able to get through a gauntlet of skepticism that maybe doesn't survive in a public company. I'm Jason Cass, and we're going to help you think differently, change your agency, change your finances, change your family, and in the end, we're going to change an industry. Let's go. Hey, 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 loyal listeners, how are you? Welcome to another episode of Agents Influence Podcast, conversations with who? Me, JC Cass. Hey, appreciate your time today. Uh, we got a big wig here. That's what I call them, the big wigs, the CEO. And you already know who it is because you read the details in the description before you hit play, but you hit play because you're curious because you said when Cass gets a CEO on, things get interesting because when we get to pick the brain of someone who sees the industry from a different level, which is cool, not saying he's superior, just saying it's a different level, uh, we like to get that. But I'm going to take 30 seconds to talk about WeGotYourPodcast.com. WeGotYourPodcast.com. Check it out, guys. We're doing a lot of podcasts. Podcasts that you're listening to are being produced by a company that I created. But I didn't create it just specifically for them. I believe that if you're in commercial insurance and you have a niche, that you can create a podcast that will separate yourself from everybody out there. How do I know? Because I write non-for-profits. I have a non-for-profit podcast, and it helps me build authority. So keep Keep that in mind. And also, some of you guys, I want you to know this is a good time to join the mastermind. And the reason why is you're not able to get out there to conferences. You're not able out there, get out there and shake hands and learn from our own peers. And yes, you get it from this podcast, but you need to sit down and you need to not face to face, but over go to meetings, Zoom, whatever that can be. Check out our mastermind. If you go to our page on our website, okay, insuranceagencyintelligence.com, click on mastermind. We give you pictures of everybody that's in there. So you get to see, and you're going to see that a lot of the people that are in there who you admire to and aspire, I should to say, to be. So that's it for that. Once again, we got your podcast.com or insurance agent mastermind. Mr. Bill Wilson, or, or Bill Martin, excuse me. Uh, one of my other buddies in my pod and my agency is uh, Bill Wilson. So Bill Martin, Jason, uh, nice to have you and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, it is. It is good to be here. I really appreciate this. Uh, you coming on. Uh, I have had, as I, we talked about a little bit before, I have had a lot of CEOs come on, but I've had a lot of CEOs say no. Um, and so that's good. And that shows an encouragement and a commitment to the industry, in my opinion, because there are questions out there that maybe the industry has. But also, I want to pick your brain on some of the knowledge and some of the vision you have. Does that sound good? Sounds great. All right. You ready? First question, are you an iPhone or are you a Droid user? Uh, well, I have to tell you, I actually have one of each. Uh, and, and Really? Uh, yes, I do. And and they actually, you know, there's some things that because everybody seems to be developing for the iPhone that 
I can only get on iPhone and there's some things that are way better on Android. So I play with the Android uh, at times that, uh, that I'm trying to do something different. So I have, and that isn't the reason I have it. I have work phone and home phone, but I chose the, uh, the other that I didn't have at work to, to play with. Wow. That's good. That, that I don't have many, I tell you, we, I haven't done an official study, but I can tell you pretty sure that the C-suites, the executives, almost every, every time iPhone, right? Yeah. But the developers, the people down there putting everything together, they're usually the droids. It's yeah. really, really crazy. You can see the separation. Well, I, I don't know what you're using for your, your uh, media. Um, but sometimes if you're going to do media, having the iPhone is a little helpful to connect into an Apple type media platform. But uh, that's, Very true. that's a, probably the biggest thing. But the, everything else, I, I think people would be surprised how many things you can get on Android that, that you don't think you can get. Uh, so. It's very true. Bill, um, what was the last app you downloaded? Uh, you know, I just this past week downloaded uh, the Windy app uh, because uh, of, of Isaias and, uh, and wanted to follow what it was doing to my homeowners. Oh, wow. Okay, that's indie. Uh, that, that's interesting. Um, and what exactly is that app? The app uh, graphically shows many different looks at, at pressure, at wind speeds, at movement of storms, uh, uh, precipitation. It's, I used it a long time ago on sailing, uh, but uh, it was really useful for, for kind of following the track of the storm uh, this past week. You're, you're a sailor. Yeah, I, I'm more of a – I saw a shirt last week that, in Rhode Island that I almost bought that said, I am the most modestly adequate crewman you could ever get on a race boat. <laughs> And that means you probably don't want me because <laughs> you want the oh, really good guys, right? But so on a race boat as well. Well, yeah, it's a, thanks oh, to some wow. friends in and outside the in, in the industry. My brother uh, on the Great Lakes, we we I, do, I get to crew sometimes. Dude, that is awesome. That is awesome. I uh, you don't get to meet a lot of people that do that, so that's awesome. So I think we like you already. Thank goodness it was, it was tough. Now, all right. The next question that I have for you is: Do you love do you uh, love to win or hate to lose? Uh, wow, I hate to lose, but I hate to not lose. I, I know when I'm not losing, I'm not trying something that's enough on the edge to really make a difference. Yes. So if I don't push the edge and fail, then I guarantee you uh, that I'm not going to have something that succeeds. So right. uh, so for me, uh, I love to win, but if I'm not failing, I probably am not. I'm, it's probably more luck than skill if I'm not failing. Wow. Have you listened to our podcast before? Um, I have not. No. Okay. I, I, okay. That. I was reading some notes the other day. I, I know you have a question in that line. but uh, Oh, okay. I was getting ready to say, I was like, Bill, we were built for each other, dude. Like, man, you said luck or skill, because that is the next question, is if there were two things and only two things, let's just say in this little world that got you to where you are, which one would you say would be more luck or skill in your life? Yeah, there's a lot of people who say that you you have to be good to be lucky, and and so the it kind of connects to your last question, in my opinion, yeah. is it, you know you really it might be the element of luck that eventually makes a good idea work and not fail, and so I. I'd prefer to be lucky. It's more fun to win. Like, <laughs> it's um, more fun to be lucky sometimes too, yeah. right? But you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's the same extent. You know, it's uh, you, you get good by failing. So did you get where you are by just getting lucky? Um, no, you didn't. I'm not being disrespectful. I'm saying you skilled, you went to school, you put yourself in situations. But were there some, you don't have to tell me, were there some big breaks that, hey, it could have went the other way or this way? Yeah, there's there were some big breaks, sure. 
uh, you know, maybe the first biggest break was um, the first company I joined when uh, when I started in this business was on this wild trajectory where they were throwing out all the rules of insurance. I think they were, it was progressive when they were about $250 million. Imagine what that place looked like at $250 million. Wow. Wow. Good glimpse. Good glimpse. That was ages ago. So. Yeah, no, it was, but good glimpse. Wow. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. It was a lucky, oh. pick. It was a lucky pick. They weren't paying me much, but it was a lucky pick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, take us back, if you would, a little bit. Take us back to high school, college, and bring us forward through those things of how you got to be uh, the CEO of Plymouth Rock, uh, Plymouth Rock Property Assurance. Uh, well, you know, I, I uh, was born in California, but I grew up in Michigan. I, and so uh, when I started looking around about where to go to school, um, I looked all over the place, kind of made a hobby of it. Back in those days, that meant getting writer's cramp because you were filling out applications by hand and trying to work part time to pay the fees for the applications because they were all 25 each. And that was a reach for me. Um, so, you know, I, I did huge number of apps and got all these rejections and acceptances. And I, I, the one that was the most friendly was this thing back out on the West Coast. Um, and it wasn't a coincidence that their materials and communications were interesting and friendly. It was because the West Coast back then um, uh, had an extraordinarily open mind and had differentiated themselves because of it. It's kind of the pioneer world, if you will. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and and so uh, I guessed right again and 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 went to uh, to Stanford sight unseen. Um, so sight unseen that I landed at the Oakland airport and spent my entire savings getting to across the bay. I had no idea it was so expensive to take a cab from Oakland. <laughs> and I had nothing my first quarter there. Thank God other people bought me drinks. But uh, so. Anyway, th- we did well and got uh, um, uh, out of school by uh, several companies, most uh, some of them, some of them in insurance, and uh, and picked one that was just dividing itself up into four regions, progressive, and and they made one of those regions in Sacramento. I took a ride out there, and um, uh, and it really didn't look anything like a, an insurance company. Everybody back then, I think it would be your last pick. You ended up in insurance. You never really right. planned to go into it, right? Um, so, you know, it was good that, that I, uh, I saw that this was a really unusual group at the time. I call it the cowboy era for that company. And, uh, and we were doing just about everything that everybody else did. We questioned it and tried to change it. Wow. And, uh, and that was fun. That was a lot of fun. So that's been that way of progressives mindset for a long time. It is. And, and, and the only thing that they really never moved on was we're going to make money doing this. We're not, we're not going to go and let everybody, you know, anybody can lose money. You just lower rates. Anybody can uh, make money and not grow. You just raise rates, but nobody seems to be able to grow and make money at the same time. That's the question you got to figure out. And we're going to give you all the tools you need to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And they they encouraged us to do some kind of wild hair things. Interesting. Interesting. I like that. And so where did you go from, from there? Well, the one thing that doing all those wild hair things did uh, was make you think you could do it for yourself. So a lot of number of people in the industry are, are ex-progressives, and I was only there three years. Um, okay. I got recruited away by travelers because I thought they were going to move me to the West Coast. Um, it was an interesting place to be in Hartford. One of the things I did back then was recommend that they back off of uh, California a bit because of the, the new passage of a new law, Proposition 103. Um, and that was 
basically killed my chance to go back west. So uh, some startup came along and I got into my startup mode. I did uh, a series of three startups. Um, wow. And one in Baltimore, one in Dallas and one in Sacramento. Uh, one, uh, I gave back to the family and they're doing very well with it. Uh, one of them eventually became part of what is uh, now Kemper was infinity. Uh, another one, uh, was one of my failures. I, I, uh, fired myself after a couple of years, um, uh, and, and, uh, went to work for farmers for 10 years and the, the, going through a series of startups and then working at a place like farmers insurance group you become a big kind of fresh air to farmers because you're working from a much higher level of view than you do at a startup. The startup, you have to do everything, right? You know, you have to worry about the the scent that's being used in the bathroom, how the paycheck is going to get out. And if you're thinking about that, walking to a place like farmers where you never even come close to, uh, to those sorts of decisions, um, then you're actually probably making more broad based decisions. I remember, reading a claim file there and uh, getting scolded because product managers never read claims files there. That was, that was not allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just did it because that's what we all did before. And, 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 and so, you know, you kind of realize you're thinking much more uh, outside of silos than maybe the company's used to. So you become uh, kind of restricted you know, away, right? Well, you, they can restrict you. But I think instead uh, to farmers credit and the culture they have there, they're now run by an ex progressive guy. Interestingly, uh, they now all kind of get more engaged on a on a much broader basis than they used to. It's not all siloed like it used to be. So it, it was it was something that that worked well. I wouldn't blame it on me. It was a series of events. We did do right. some big acquisitions then. We bought Bristol West. We brought Twenty First Century, uh, foremost, just before I got there. Uh, yeah. But then I got this idea about um, about home insurance and and a few offers to do it. And one of the one places that made me an offer, uh, Bankers Insurance in Florida. Uh, was a family-owned thing, so I wasn't going to have to do public reporting on on the experiment. Um, and it was in a place where if you did a good job managing catastrophes and reinsurance, right. all the mistakes you made on the rest of it would be masked. You'd, you'd still report great profits. Right. So we had this idea of what if we completely changed, uh, you know, did kind of the 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 question everything process on homeowners. Um, and and set up a new product in Florida that was wildly profitable and grew real well, um, but was working kind of small ball by just being a state specialist, a coastal specialist. So uh, Plymouth Rock hired me a little bit later to do it on a much broader basis here in, in the Northeast. Uh, it's working fantastically. The, 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 the core thing is that, A, you should be able to, to know before you offer somebody insurance what you need to charge them. You shouldn't have to go through some sort of hell and bring the consumer with it, with you through that hell. Amen. Get there, right? I mean, it's just ridiculous. And there's a lot of insure techs doing this. I, I wanted to do it for the much bigger capital base, a much bigger distribution channel. And, and Plymouth Rock offered that. Um, the second kind of thesis is that um, uh, if you do all your homework, then your customer doesn't have to do any. Uh, so, so you can make it way easier for them to buy Yes. Um, and you can target your marketing for the people who you can actually benefit. So uh, doing that here in the Northeast with the distribution channel that was already established by Plymouth Rock's success in auto insurance, um, it's been a huge success for us. We're really excited about how it's going. Wow. So, so you know, I've got some other questions, but let's stay right here for a minute because, you know, there's a lot of companies out there um, though, that are really, um, they're doing things differently. 
for instance, there are some competitors out there of yours that aren't doing the underwriting. The these reinsurers doing the underwriting, and they're taking 25 percent of the premium, and then offsetting underwriting loss to the reinsurer. In this situation, I believe it's Munich Re for the, some of the two of these companies. I'm t- um, thinking of in my head. Um, is that something that you see happening going forward with a lot of companies? Well, that this is the theory that you'll change the world to be eyeballs rather than profits. And and I would say um, you and me probably wouldn't put our money into something that just had a lot of eyeballs and no profits. So there is some kind of end game for all these people. You got to respect Munich Re for taking these chances. And you've got to respect the idea that if nothing else happens, they will walk away from these things with technology and IP that was worth the spend. It might not have been a great investment, but it, they probably would have spent more than that trying to get the same sort of understanding and knowledge internally. So, so maybe these aren't really ridiculous valuations in a uh, different sense. They're ridiculous valuations by any other comparison in the in the investment world. But in terms of the um, knowledge that the companies gain and the the access to invention that the companies get, it might actually be a cheaper way to the same place. So the cash flow, if you look at it just as cash flow, these guys are doing things that really help you do things better. And in my world, I, I get right to it, right? I, I say, hey, rather than do this as an independent startup that promises to change the world and gets a billion dollar valuation and then everybody's disappointed in 10 years, what if I do as a sponsored startup where the company is willing to uh, let you operate entrepreneurially enough um, that that you can do the things that these insure techs do but you have the capital basis to make mistakes. You have the the understanding and the allowance and the and some things that really take your time away from the invention. So great inventions from some of these guys you're talking about, but not necessarily some things that are key to success too. For instance, there is no great insurance story that isn't a distribution story. You have great agents, you're going to win, right? Wow. Wow. What story? What, you can't find one. I'll, you give me one, every success story in our industry, and I'll tell you they did something with distribution that, that made a difference. And, mm. and, and yet many of these people are working on product and price. And, and that's an if you build it, they will come type of theory. And, uh, and I would tell you that's great, but if you don't have seats in the stadium, forget it. So I, I, uh, I, I, think, uh, I think this is a great way to do things is as a sponsored startup. That's, that's uh, you know, I don't, I don't worry about the scent in the bathroom and, and, you know, the, the next negotiation of uh, employee benefits. I have a team that I share with some others to do that. So I get to concentrate on making my product more attractive to both the distributors and the customers. And, and that's where I, that's where the value is going to be built. Wow. I think, uh, I haven't talked to, you know, a ton of CEOs, but you're a breath of fresh air. And the reason I think I like, I'm starting to figure you out in a little bit of, you said it very well, you're really, you really like what the insure techs do, but as you said, a sponsored or also in the fact, as you said, one that allows you to have the capital you need in order to do the things you knew that you need to do. Um, would you, would it be safe to say, Bill, that a lot of CEOs don't think like you? Well, there's, it isn't a problem of not thinking about I me. Mean, I don't think you can get into this role without, a challenging convention in any company. It, you, you, it's it, you, if you look the same as everybody else, you're not going to rise above everybody. So True. I don't think you can. But, uh, but uh, there is a um, 
on the balance scale of everybody's life, there is a different weight on the risk uh, part of the scale. You, you, there's so many places where being risk adverse is more rewarding than taking risk. And, and so okay. my life has been a hunt for the place where I'm going to be allowed to take some risk. Um, and that will probably make me, uh, you know, CEO of the, the, Tenth largest company rather than the largest. Uh, you know, if somebody offered me the largest, I can talk about it. But it's it's like you know the thing I'll ask. The first thing I'll ask the investors is, will you let me take risks that will someday be criticized as that was a stupid risk? We could have told you that before you tried it. Some of this stuff isn't that stupid. It's it's just, everybody thinks it's stupid. Um, uh, there's actually some brilliance to delivery of really good ideas that isn't apparent when you first do it. And so you have to be able to get through a gauntlet of skepticism that maybe doesn't survive in a, in a public company. Maybe I'm talking myself out of good jobs, aren't I? Maybe doesn't survive in an environment that, that has people who are very, very rigid and, and uh, almost overly uh, analytical. Analytics are very important, um, but they also, uh, you have to be very creative in what you see in those numbers. Um, and sometimes folks aren't. Are you ready to transform the way your business communicates? Look no further than Lightspeed Voice, the ultimate solution for insurance agencies seeking a seamless communication. I've used them for over eight years. I'm telling you, what I'm reading is the truth. Picture this, crystal clear calls, advanced features, unparalleled, flexible, tailored, just for you. That's Lightspeed Voice. Tired of drop calls and outdated systems? Lightspeed Voice has your back. Say goodbye to communication hiccups and hello to a new era of efficiency. I love that. Boost productivity with features like call recording, voice to email, and effortless call transfers. Work from the office, from home, or on the go. Lightspeed Voice keeps you connected wherever your business takes you. Don't worry about the transition. Our dedicated support and onboarding teams will guide you every step of the way. Make the switch to Lightspeed and join the ranks of satisfied insurance agency owners, like me, experiencing the power of seamless communication. Ready to elevate your agency? Visit lightspeedvoice.com or call 877.97-VOICE to schedule your free demo. Lightspeed Voice, we're more than just talk. Cast approved. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna jump to that here in a second. But this is uh, this is really great that you you know you're talking about the distribution system, which obviously I'm a huge probably carry the number one flag in front of everybody for the independent insurance system. Um, give, it's given me a life I never thought that would be possible. The fact that you say that you know, hey, I'm talking myself out of some jobs, or I was offered the number one or number two. That's great. That means that you understand that it's a passion, right? And it's a, it's a willingness and a desire to change an industry and have it look maybe different. I'm not saying that you're trying to change the whole thing, but there is a different way. And, and I think that, that a lot of people lose sight of that. When I tell them about some of these companies that don't take on the underwriting profits, um, there's a good part of that, right? Because like, cause like, like they said, we can sell in um, hurricane pro areas like Florida, right? Because that premium's high, bigger 25%, they offset the losses to Munich Re. That, that seems pretty genius to me until, you know, Munich Re is got to make sure they're still making cash, right? Okay. And, and so I don't think that agents sometimes realize that there's, there's different methods being tried out there, which just not the same old um, stale 
um, you know, backroom insurance companies puffing on cigars. Um, all the way back to my first job, which is uh, if anybody's in your office who doesn't believe you can grow dramatically and make money at the same time, find somebody else. That's right. I, I, it's baloney. I mean, you, it means you're just not figuring it out or being creative enough or differentiating yourself enough or finding the right. You, you, that is the job. Right? Mm-hmm. You've got a bunch of people that you're funding that are figuring out how to sell lots of insurance, but they're not making money. There's some value to that. Uh, my guess is to your earlier point, you also limit your exposure to loss from it. You're not going to spend more than the value on it. Right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so, you know, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll see these things play out in a very positive way. There's also some things they're doing, I think, in terms of challenging uh, competitive and regulatory uh, convention. It's not necessarily, there's some great things about regulation that I really think we aren't embracing enough, but there's also some things that, um, that are just getting old. And, and uh, some of these new guys are just ignoring them and they get in trouble for it, but at least they kind of hit the picket fence before the big guys do. And That's right. maybe it'll change the game a little bit on, in the name of innovation. It will. That's good. So turning the thing, first of all, before we go, uh, what part of Michigan are you from? What, what, I, uh, I'm just south of Flint. Uh, uh, my dad uh, okay. worked in Detroit and my mom worked in Flint. So we, we were in a town called Lake Fenton, Michigan. Okay. I li- grew up on a lake. All right. My dad, uh, my dad's family is from up there in the tip. Uh, right south of Port Huron is uh, Yale, Michigan. Yeah. Uh, that's where my dad. You know, Port Huron, yeah. One of the races we do is from Port Huron to Mackinac. So I know Port Huron. Oh, okay. Yeah. Plus Thomas Edison, right? That's right. And that was like my dude when I was younger. I was always just fascinated with him. I wanted to do something in electricity and never did. So anyways, I was thinking about making, I, you know, I was driving through Indiana the other day. The northern part of Indiana is absolutely beautiful. Right. And I was seeing all these big, huge windmills out there. And I'm thinking, you know what? I need to build a windmill. I just think that'd be cool and set it out in your backyard. I don't care if it just ran one light, right? Just to say, I'm running that light off wind. I think that I would know, be great. One or two less podcasts you can make if you're going to <laughs> That's true. Hey, Bill, let's talk about where this industry is going as far as analytics, as far as data. I had these planned for you, and I didn't realize that you were as big in the insure tech mindset, startup mindset that you have been, or history, I should say. Um, When you're making a plan at Plymouth, do you look one, three, five years out? Do you look short term and then long term? What is the game plan that you cast as a vision for Plymouth and how you see the future? Does that make sense? How do you see it? Uh, It does, um, but it's what's happening today. Uh, It's it's kind of hard to describe. What's what's happening today presents the the problems to be solved that are the five-year plan. So I'd never really describe it in terms of a five-year plan. I need to do some planning to to manage capital and and Mm -hmm. exposure and so forth. But the things that that we're doing today. So I, one thing I didn't mention. You talk about the insure tech world. I did start a company, um, and and um, you know, I still have a small piece of it called Neptune Flood. Um, that has a very that's in the insure tech world and has a very similar attitude towards invention that we have. And now the guys running it are are uh, kind of my non billion dollar company release every once in a while. And the reason I mention it is because floods an obvious kind of stupid thing that the industry does. We, we give it all to the government, which aggregates it. And the biggest problem with flood is aggregation. If we didn't have aggregation, you wouldn't have the Katrina deficit. Uh, it, it just, 
Yes. You know, if it were a residual market rather than a private, if it weren't subsidizing people who are very wealthy and have coastal homes, it, it would be a good thing. So it just it doesn't make sense. So you you go and say, all right, well, I'm going to do the thing that does make sense and compete with it, right? Right. That's where you look at what we're doing today. You say, I'm going to do the thing that does make sense, and we're going to compete with it. And there'll be millions of things that don't work because there's reasons we do things the way we do. And, the, and those reasons don't go away just because you tried something new. They're still there, right? You know, everybody right. asks about a biting dog. If nobody asked about biting dogs when they got home insurance, it would cost you an extra $6 per policy. But because people are asking about biting dogs, you're worried about getting all the biting dogs and you have to be defensive and ask about it yourself. Well, that's the world that gets to 100 questions of trying to keep you from being the repository for the risk, worst risks. So I'm not saying that that you shouldn't ask for biting dogs. What I'm saying is that there are reasons why people do things and you have to figure out how to overcome them in order to get to the thing that you're you're seeing as the complete change, right? So it's yes. there's a lot of complexity behind Neptune's ability to compete with NFIP. There's a huge amount of complexity in data and process, but, uh, process not process, but but tech behind um, uh, our ability to compete in homeowners insurance. You know, just a quick question, and maybe there's not an, one answer, but why has the industry not tried to take over the NFIP? Can they just not make, I mean, money? I mean, what is the deal? Well, so the NFIP was uh, it was started for two reasons. One was because they had some floods that that they couldn't cover that were way bigger than they had ever charged for, you know, kind of okay. more pre there was more payouts in those floods than all of the premium ever collected for flood insurance. So they okay. had to do something to make it more insurable at the time. It was considered uninsurable at the time. Uh, that was the other was the things that will, that will mitigate floods cost a lot of money. So for any one homeowner, anyone insurer, you couldn't fund the mitigation, but maybe uh, the government, uh, if they took all this flood premium in, they could fund, community rating and reward communities mm. that build flood control, right? So that's what they did. The, they would actually reduce rates in towns that had flood control. They just ignored the actuarial side of this. They didn't worry about whether or not there was going to be a flood loss. What they said is if you invested in flood control, we'll give you lower rates on your flood insurance. And that was the trade. And so uh, eventually it became more of a political thing where if you were a representative mm -hmm. and you wanted to get elected, you went to NFIP and asked them to get you in a better zone and it had nothing to do with actuary again. So 30 some years now of no actuarial basis for this program, of course the rates are wrong. Of course the right. rates are way up. And of course, if you change them, it'll be a huge disruption, of course. So that's a great play, a great way for the private industry to retake over the flood insurance. You know, yeah, government has a lot of capital, but the reinsurance industry has 900 billion of capital. Mm -hmm. And 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 the and Katrina was uh, I don't know was it 20 billion flood? Yeah, I think so. Somewhere think around there. Spread that out. I think that can be yeah. handled by our industry. So yes. the more people got into flood, the better. That's why I'm always anxious to talk about uh, how we're doing homeowners and how we're doing flood with. I should worry more about the IP elements of what I'm saying, but I don't worry that much because. Really, Miami needs 30 more competitors. That's what they mm -hmm. need. You can't aggregate all the risk under one mm -hmm. competitors. You can't. You have to spread it out. That means they need 30 more competitors. And so it's not wrong to tell everybody else what the secret formula is because maybe they'll come in and ease the, ease the pressure on you to offer rates that are not affordable if you aggregate. Yeah. And, and it seems like with um... – with the with as you're saying with the flood um i see it like maybe not it's too simple but i see it like the tria act right you cover it but there's a backstop right so you can actually get in there and make some you know what your what your total loss cost could possibly be 
I, I just well, I mean, let's be realistic. Uh, FEMA's already a backstop. They're not going to let homeowners hang out to dry if the industry runs out of money. They're going to try and help. So the real question is, how do you get more of the risk into the industry so that there's less of a load on FEMA? Gotcha. Um, and that you know they ensure maybe residual market and maybe the tail and the world gets a lot better. Uh, yeah, tree is not a bad example. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. You being an insure tech dude, what is um, no disrespect, but, but just sorry, just sorry, but you being a, a past <laughs> insure tech person, um, oh, data, data to me is the single biggest differentiator in the insurance industry. What do you think about that? Uh, data and and I think um, keeping up with uh, data and data techniques. So. Uh, today we have uh, somebody's actually measured this. I forgot what the number was. It's 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 exponential. That's all I can tell you. Today, the amount of data we have available to us to uh, do everything from marketing to servicing to pricing uh, to claim handling is, uh, let's say, ten times what it was five years ago. Mm-hmm. And it will happen again. We'll have we'll have ten times more data over the next few years. Uh, so in some of that data, when combined and analyzed in, in uh, really brilliant ways, becomes highly predictive. And, uh, you know, I just saw, I think the other day, some one of the insure techs announced they're not going to use uh, credit based insurance scoring. And, um, and I was kind of laughing because the wow. that just means they're they've discovered data that's replacing it. It's not some sort of hugely generous opportunity for them to be good to people who have bad credit scores. They figured out something else that's more predictive and replaces it. So, but, it, but might as well hold yourself out. You know, it's good PR. So, uh, you know, that, that's the sort of thing that data can do is it can make the world more risk-based uh, in terms of its pricing and more fair in terms of its pricing if used right. Yet everybody is suspect of it because they think they're getting data that's private or that's evil. Yeah. Uh, I don't, we, we throw evil data out of the office. We just say, you know what? If this wouldn't pass the New York Times test, then get it out of here. We don't even want it sitting on our computers. Um, and you're still more data than we can possibly machine every day. So, mm-hmm. uh, and by the way, some of the techniques that are used by the industry to this day have become so refined and so accepted by regulators, they're reluctant to move to new techniques that are even better. So oh, uh, good point. watch it's, it's um, it, it means that, they, it is a it is a fuel and it is does keep you ahead, um, but it's weird how we have used over time we've used data to improve our own lot the insurance company's lot, and we haven't used it to in, improve the insurer policyholders lot. We we tend to make uh, we tend to use it to make our loss ratios better and out segment everybody, but we don't use it to make the customers' lives easier. Some people are beginning to to our earlier conversation. Um, but boy, there's a lot of opportunity in data to make people's lives easier. Yes, there is. And you know, you're talking about the the credit score. Chris Baran from Baran and Associates, a very big consultant, very very good one here in the insurance industry. He was talking to me about um, about the value of data and how it can be looked at for expiration dates. That there's companies out there now that like they don't need to buy your book of business. They can get your expiration dates, not perfect, but through data and weaving everything together to say this is probably the effective date. And then going after that coverage or that customer because they were inside what the insure tech seems to think is is their customer that they could attract. 
And, and that really, really sounds crazy and really sets off alarm bells as we go through because that's the value of our agencies, Bill. I mean, that's that's how we derive our values off those expiration dates. Uh, so I'm not going to agree with you because I think I you, I think you individually are the value. You are telling you are translating the insurance world to somebody who doesn't want to spend four years studying it, um, mm. understand it. You, that is, if I can get you out of the the process of setting a price and into the advisory role, then people will pay more for that value and that advice. And I, that's where I really want to happen. I think people need advice buying home insurance, and they're going to do much better through an independent agent than through any other channel. Agree. So, so if I can get them to the coverage conversation and away from the percentage of your floor that's linoleum, that's what I'll use my data for. If there's some database out there that says percentage of floor linoleum, I'll use it. Not that that's really a very important question, but right, right. I get you. Uh, we know uh, we, we follow you. Um, so that's that's the point. It's it's. Uh, so I, I think you're, yes, you, you need to know who to go after and expiration dates to help you figure out who to go after. I'm, 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 I'm okay and I'm comfortable with that, but I don't want you to commoditize the world. I want it to be hard for you to go after, just like you want people to have a hard time coming to get your customers because you have a relationship that's trusting the way you might trust a lawyer or an investment advisor or um, uh, you know somebody, a, a realtor or somebody that, that's more than just the money that you pay them. Um, Wrapping this up, last question I kind of want to ask you before I, uh, I, I close it out um, with you is I want to talk about real quick about soft and hard markets. I've only been in the business for 18 years, 2001, so 19 years is creeping up quick, Bill, um, for 19 years. And, you know, when I came in in 2001, we were in the midst of uh, a soft market and then we started getting into a hard market. And a lot of people who have been in the business for five to 10 years, they really don't necessarily know. I mean, we hear about these fluctuations, but I see my renewals. Yeah, they go up, but what does it? You know what I mean? And I think to myself, because this is what I was told, Bill, and I, I want to get this. I was always told that when interest rates are up and insurance companies are making money on bonds or whatever you guys do um, from, from the stock market, that then it offsets losses over here. So it gives you guys to be more aggressive, open up, try things. But then as interest rates go down, you have to start relying more on the money and the premium that you get from the customer. I would like to know if that's true. And if it is, how are you doing this with interest rates so low, but yet we're staying pretty steady? I would love to hear your brains on that. Uh, there are some companies who have hit their underwriting margin, which has nothing to do with interest rates, regardless of the interest rate environment. Okay. okay. And those are the ones who will survive and have survived and have grown in the long term. Um, so just, so that's one thing, the discipline okay. more rewarding than what we used to call cash flow underwriting. You can figure out who some of those companies are by looking from the time period of 1984 to 1990 when there was a liability crisis. And uh, the market got very, very hard. And there was an interest rate problem there, too. We had really right. low interest rates at the beginning and came down during that period. That's what I heard, yeah. Um, so so you, you see who grew there, and you'll realize that – and grew profitably. Anybody can grow with by losing money. Uh, then you'll see who's really the strength today. Um, so, the, yes, interest rates feed a cycle – but they aren't the sole cause of the cycle. Underwriting discipline itself can be the cause of a cycle. I talked about distribution. During that period, 1984 to 1990, uh, there were a lot of people who didn't want to write auto insurance because the tail on it 
uh, with the lowering interest rates and the increase in the number of lawsuits, the frequency went through the, you know, had a huge jump back in that period. Um, they all backed out. All the key players for independent agents restricted their availability on auto insurance. Okay. What they did is they created the biggest auto insurance company out of the guy who didn't progressive. Gotcha. They progressive consolidated the distribution channel. I talked about distribution. Right. They consolidated right. the independent agent distribution channel. They were there when everybody else was being abandoned, was abandoning the agents. And, and they got rewarded okay. by becoming now the biggest auto insurance writer through independent agents. So this is uh, huge because uh, uh, yes, the interest rates can influence companies, but the companies that are influenced are the ones that probably aren't going to survive in the long term. It's the ones that are disciplined uh, through the interest rate environment that will survive. To your earlier point, though, nobody who is uh, in this business less than 20 years has really seen a, a harder soft market. It's it's really yeah. moved out a lot. Since yeah, then. there's been a very so so. What you say? How are we surviving? We're surviving by underwriting discipline. Um, Okay. Rock is a little bit more creative with its investments. You know, we've kind of recognized, for instance, that the Geico and State Farm strategy of equity and uh, heavy, heavy capitalization, but a lot of it in equity makes more sense than a than a bond portfolio that's been highly levered. Um, but that's that's you know that's all strategic at a capital management level that one person decides in the entire company, not not thirty, and usually doesn't have a lot of relevance to your daily operations. So, yeah, you guys haven't seen the Thank worth you. of either side, unless you've been at the coast. The truth is that we've got an ongoing coastal hard market uh, for homeowners. And and that's why when co new companies, some of these insure techs, when they come in, uh, realize that when they look at their book three years later, like, oh, my God, all the all the single family homes I got are within three miles of water. And yeah, we could have told you that you would get those. Those are the ones that are hard to get. You know, those are the easy guys. You know, I, I can get those. If I, I can get all those all day long if I want. And my loss ratios will look great because the storm hasn't happened yet. When the storm right. happens, you're like, ah, you know, if it weren't for the storm, we were doing a great job. <laughs> well, maybe you need to do a better job without the storm than you did. You know? so anyway. That's good. I'm going to close up here. One of the things that I've heard you say, though, before I do, um, I've heard you say it three times now, and I wrote it down. It's, you know, anybody can grow if they're losing money. You know, um, and you didn't say exactly that, but you said, well, these companies are growing. And then you'll always say, well, it's easy to grow if, if you're losing money. And it's funny, you've said that three times. And, um, and that really has resonated with me because that's a common sense thing, right? If you lose money or to pump it up, yeah, you're growing. But are you at the end? I don't know. But I thought that was interesting. So, so I want to I want to wrap this up here. Um, we do this every time. It's leaders are readers, and readers are leaders. And we know that you're a leader, so you're probably a reader. And what exactly uh, are you reading right now? So I, I've been on a, a long term hunt for more and more uh, quotes from from um, leaders. I'm finding a lot of them in in the military world, generals. So right now I'm reading a book on the uh, the American Revolution. It's called The British Are Coming, uh, American Revolution from um, from uh, Lexington to Princeton. Wow. A history book. And what I'm looking for in there is anecdotes about, about generals because um, some of them, they don't have time to be uh, nuanced. And I think CEOs often don't have time to be nuanced. So if they can find ways to communicate something well without creating, you know, uh, mm -hmm. what I call the, uh, thanks to Silicon Valley's TV show, uh, the sticky bear problem where everybody interprets what you said differently than what you actually meant. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> then, then, uh, then I, I think I can learn a lot so I can borrow some phrases that say what I'm trying to say better than I've said it. 
You know, I, I, I greatly appreciate your time, Bill. It really was. This is, uh, we talked about a lot of things. I've got about four or five questions here, only asked one or two of them. You gave, well, you gave such great insight. You know, you gave such great insight and we definitely appreciate it. Uh, we really do as an independent agent for you to take your time. Your time is very valuable and we want to make no bones about that. We do appreciate it very much. Um, if there any last thing you want to say? No, no, I, I would tell you that your earlier thing about the, um, uh, about being able to grow and, and make money at the same time. You, you have a similar issue with people. I got kind of two tropes. One of them is anybody can grow and lose money. Uh, another one is uh, you can get a technician and you can get a good people leader. It's really hard to find the people that are both. And, and uh, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I think a big thing for a lot of your agencies is they you guys need to be really good technicians and you need to be really good with people. And, and if you those are where the big succeeders are going to, the big success is going to come from. Bill, thanks for your trust in us. Oh, thanks wow. for your- great, uh, great to spend time with you. No, we really, really, really do. Hey, so all you loyal listeners out there, thank you very much for your time. As you know, I do what I do. I do it for you. And be sure to tell me your thoughts and tell me your ideas, and I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. This has been Jason Cass with Agents Influence Podcast. He's Bill. I'm Jason. We're out. Hey, loyal listeners, when you hear me say CAS certified, that means that we use them in our agency. Are you a local insurance agent looking to take your business to the next level? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS, aka Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. But like in today's world, we use these initials like it's cool because it is. It's hip. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they offer the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing market. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and the guidance you need to see your agency succeed. Nationwide Brokered Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't you survive in the competitive insurance industry? Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions today. Get started today and learn more at mbsbrokerage.com. That's where you learn more, mbsbrokerage.com. Cast certified.